My wife and I were blessed to be able to purchase a home for our family back in August of 2019. And so we've lived in Holman for about four and a half years now. And uh, the area has changed a lot in those four and a half years. I've talked to many of you who've lived here, you've lived here all your life, and you think of Holman as, you know, kind of country. And when you were growing up, there wasn't much out there. And now the area is, is just booming. And when we were talking about buying a home, I, I said, you know, I've always loved the idea of buying an older home if possible. I mean, sure, there's, you know, there's going to be more maintenance. Nobody loves that. There's more upkeep. Um, but the ones that have stood the test of time, that has stood for, for decades, they kind of tell a story, don't they? A number of families have lived in our home over the years, and I'm positive that we're not going to be the last family that lives there. We're just stewards until we can pass it on to someone else. But the longer you live in your home, the more imperfections that you find. Uh, maybe the stairs creak a little bit. Maybe you have a light switch that turns on the light half the time and the other half it doesn't. You, you may have a few leaky pipes or some baseboards in the house that uh, need touched up or totally replaced. And I get, while these things can be annoying, at the end of the day, it just means that the house has been lived in, that people are enjoying it, and families being raised. One of the unique imperfections about our house, and uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find it right now because it's buried under snow, but it's our backyard. Um, we have kind of a weird backyard. At some point before we moved in, uh, the previous owners, they wanted to lay some sod in the backyard. The only issue is they didn't level the yard before they did this, and the yard is really uneven. And so the result um, are these uh, bumps, these small bumps all over the yard. And so, you know, if we try to have people over um, in the spring or the fall and we do a fire in the backyard, or if we get the family together and we play some football or baseball, um, it's usually not a great thing. All right, because our, our smallest son, for example, Elliot, he's six, he'll be running as fast as his little legs can take him, and you've seen him around the hallways, and yes, I tell them not to run. <laughs> Do they always listen? No, it's a, it's, you know, work in progress, but what'll happen is he'll, he'll be running as fast as his legs can take him, he'll hit one of these small bumps that you or I wouldn't fall if something like that, but he does, he falls flat on his face, and uh, the result is a few scraped knees, you know, a Band-Aid to patch it up, wipe away the tears, and then he's up ready to, you know, get up and go again. Um, but the uneven backyard can be really annoying at times. And I'm sure you have things about your house uh, that you think, man, that's just annoying. I wish that wasn't there. And so why, why do I share a story like this with you? I think this is true in all of our lives. You see, we stumble and fall on a lot of things in life. We stumble on our own bad habits. It's the beginning of 2024, and maybe there's some habits that you're trying to break. Uh, we stumble on our own self-centeredness and sin. Uh, we stumble when others treat us badly, when they hurt us, they lie about us. Uh, we, we stumble on all the negative news that's consistently there when we turn the TV on. And we stumble when someone we love is hurting or going through a difficult season. And so the second half of the Lord's Prayer, it gets a little more personal. It helps us to address the stumbling blocks, the stumbling bumps, if you could say, of life. 
And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue our series, Lessons from the Light. And uh, I would say if you're joining us for the first time or if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go back and either listen to it through our weekly podcast or you can watch it on our YouTube channel. Um, You can watch the whole service that way because uh, this week's message and last week's message is really one message in two parts. And so at this time, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 uh, aloud. I'll do that one more time for these two messages. And this is what we read. Once, Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. And then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, my family and I are all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. And so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Amen. You may be seated. So I said last week that the Lord's prayer is a model for A model of prayer that Jesus shared with his disciples and shared with us that's meant to teach us how to pray and what to pray for. And I believe the value of the Lord's Prayer is not necessarily in memorizing it and reciting it word for word, although there's nothing wrong with that and we should memorize Scripture. The value of the Lord's Prayer is in using it as a model for our own conversations with God. It's it's where we learn how to connect with God relationally. It's where we spend time worshiping him and praising his name, asking for his will to be done in our lives, uh, requesting the things that we need. Those are the steps that we talked about last week, and today we'll see that the Lord's Prayer is where we confess sin. We learn how to forgive others and receive forgiveness ourselves. We learn how to rely on God's power and his strength in our lives. And so the overarching purpose of the Lord's Prayer is first and foremost to glorify God's name and then to learn how to ask for his help in accomplishing his will in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to think about the Lord's Prayer as just that. 
It's a pathway that's made up of different steps. And we don't take these steps to somehow earn God's favor, to earn his love, to earn his salvation. We don't do that. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Amen? But we take these steps so that we draw closer to God. We learn how to depend on him, how to trust him with every situation, every circumstance that we go through in life. Last week, we looked at the first four steps, and so today, we're just going to pick up right where we left off. And so if you're taking notes, uh, step number five, and we're going to spend most of our time on this step today, uh, forgive and be forgiven. Forgive and be forgiven. Um, We see this in the first part of Luke 11, verse four, and so I'll read that for you. Um, And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And now, uh, Matthew's account actually um, expands or expounds on this truth. I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. But um, this is really two steps in one. And so I'm going to talk about them in the order that we see them in Scripture. But as you'll see, this is not necessarily um, always the right order for which step you should take first. And so we'll start with the first part of this verse, which says, And forgive us our sins. This is often referred to as a prayer of cleansing. It's a prayer of cleansing. You know, confession and repentance um, are a crucial part of the Christian life. First uh, John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says that if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, there's that word confess, um, he being God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us, there's that word cleanse, from all wickedness. And so God's word is clear that every person who's ever lived with the exception of Jesus um, is a sinner by nature and by choice, and because of that, we are desperately in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And God's word is also clear that complete forgiveness is always available in Christ. And so when you confess your sin to God and you receive his forgiveness, there's a weight that's lifted in your life. And we weren't meant to carry this weight. There's a weight that's lifted and you're freed to enjoy your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And you're also freed to live the life that God has created you to live. I love how Rick Warren explains confession. He does it with three words. And I think this is a great way to think about it. He calls it spiritually cleaning house. Now, if you were to come over to our house, we've got four boys, number five on the way. Um, Our house is always being cleaned, all right? The laundry is always needing to be done. Dishes are always needing to be done. Um, The rooms are always needing to be cleaned. You know, we clean them, and then it's just a cycle, right? It's a cycle in our lives, and it never ends. And some days, we just want to wave a magic wand, and it all be done, Um, but thankfully I have an amazing wife who does a lot of this during the day while I'm away at work. (laughs) And so I get to come home usually to a clean house and a family that's ready to hang out and spend time together. And so, but Rick Warren, he calls this spiritually cleaning house. And so if we clean our house just about every day or we do the dishes or the laundry, the principle is the same with sin in our lives, with um, confession and with repentance. This isn't meant to just be a one-time thing, that you believe, you're baptized, um, you repent, and that's it. No, repentance is meant to be a daily thing. Confession is a daily thing in the life of the believer. And the Bible teaches us that when you confess your sins to God, you're um, admitting and you're taking responsibility 
for your own sin. That's what it is. And this is also when we ask God to search our hearts and to point out anything that may be offensive to him. I love King David's example in this. I think it provides the clearest example that we have. And I would urge you this morning to follow his example. And we see this in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. David prayed these words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So God is always faithful and he will always point out the areas in your life that are offensive to him. And I can assure you there probably are some when you ask him to search your heart. When you recognize sin in your life, you can confess that sin to him. You can come to him confidently and boldly because of who he is and because of what he's done. The promise is that he's faithful to forgive your sin and to remove the weight of guilt and shame that you've been carrying around. He's faithful to help you change course and to lead you down the right path. Friends, God doesn't want you to go through life with the weight of guilt and shame on your shoulders. That's not a purpose that you were created for. His plan for your life is that you would live in freedom in Christ. But the only way that you're going to experience this kind of freedom that the Bible talks about is if you confess your sin to him and receive his free gift of grace and forgiveness. And this is how you spiritually clean house. I think it's a daily step that we take as believers. When you confess your sin to God, um, you're not telling him something that he doesn't already know. Your sin is no secret to God. When you confess your sin, what's happening is, is that you're owning up to your choices. You're owning up to your decisions. You're taking responsibility for your own actions. And then God's promise is that When you come to him with this, he'll forgive you instantly. He'll forgive you freely. He'll forgive you completely. And he'll forgive you permanently. And this is good news. It's what grace is all about. I love Psalm 32, uh, verses 1 through 5. This is a Psalm of David again. And I don't think there's a clearer passage in Scripture that shows us what confessing our sin to God does in our lives. As he lifts that that guilt and that shame off of our shoulders. Listen to this. This is just awesome. David said, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. And then David talks about something that he went through that I think we go through as well. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. So he couldn't do this on his own. He couldn't get through this on his own. And then he says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. And then listen to this, all my guilt is gone. I don't believe that guilt and shame are from God. Hear me out for a moment. I believe that guilt and shame are from Satan. I believe that conviction is from God. God wants to convict you 
in the areas of your life that are offensive to him. He wants to convict you and to open your eyes and show you the areas in your life where you're going down the wrong path, um, where you are missing the mark. Satan wants to make you feel guilty and shameful, and he wants you to stay that way. God wants to remove that guilt and shame, and he wants you to walk in freedom. We see that in David's life, and I know that there are so many testimonies in this room today of how God has done that in your life as well. And so the weight of guilt and shame being lifted by God's grace and forgiveness, um, it starts with one word. It starts with honesty. It's only when your sins are uncovered and confessed to God that he extends forgiveness. And I'll just, I'll be honest with you about something this morning. You know, the happiest people that I've known in my life are the ones who've not only known they need to be forgiven, but have also experienced God's forgiveness in their life. Those are the happiest people, the most joyful people that I know are the ones who have been honest with God, who have recognized the sin in their life and recognized their need for a Savior. And they are daily depending on Him, daily walking with Him. They're not making excuses. Right? They're leaning on their Savior. And so that's the first half of this first point for today, forgive and be forgiven. I want to talk about the second half, and that's the, the part where we learn how to forgive others I'm going to say something that may rub some of you the wrong way. Um, You may be hearing this for the first time today. I hope not. But the second half of verse 4, and if we look at Matthew's account as well, um, gives us the one condition of being forgiven by God. Um, God's grace and forgiveness is conditional. It's conditional. Verse 4, Luke chapter 11 says, And forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, I'm going to talk about Matthew's portion of this here in just a moment. But God is saying in this portion of the Lord's Prayer, I will forgive you if you take the next step in forgiving others. That's the condition. You know, it's often pretty easy to ask God for forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard, but I think often it's easy to go to God and say, God, will you forgive me in this area? I've messed up. I've fallen short. I think it's often harder to offer forgiveness to someone else. And so if God expects us to forgive others, and he does, how do we do this? How do we do this? I I think this is the hardest step to take in the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgiving someone who's hurt you, who's harmed you in some way, that's one of the hardest things to do in life. I've found the closer the relationship and the deeper the wound, the more challenging it is to forgive. So to truly forgive another person, we need to remember that forgiveness is not about fairness. Forgiveness is about grace. I think about this for a moment. Let this sink in this morning. Forgiveness is not about fairness. Forgiveness is about grace. And just as God is the one who initiates a relationship with us, extending his love, his grace, and forgiveness first, you must rely on his grace as you learn how to extend forgiveness to others. And learning how to forgive others starts, it begins by remembering how much you've been forgiven by God. And so whenever it's difficult to forgive someone, we need to remember Romans 5 verse 8. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I've shared this many times with you. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it was, it was while you were at your very worst, the lowest of the lows, that Christ died for you. 
that doesn't sound like fairness. That sounds a lot like grace to me. So I'll say it again. Forgiveness is not about fairness. You, you may have someone in your life that doesn't deserve to be forgiven. We weren't deserving of God's forgiveness. But he offers it freely anyway. Forgiveness is about grace. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, teaches us that when we trust in Jesus, um, he makes a home in our hearts. That's what this passage is all about. And uh, as we grow in our relationship with him, it's his love and grace that keeps us strong in our faith. And so the focus here, the point is that you can't do this on your own. You can't extend forgiveness to someone else in those difficult situations in your own strength. You have to rely on God's power, his strength, as you learn how to extend forgiveness to others. This isn't possible by yourself. Now, when you first placed your trust in Jesus and were baptized, you repented of sin. Uh, every sin that you had ever committed was forgiven. And now that you've experienced God's forgiveness in your own life, you're actually called to be an agent of forgiveness yourself. You are to be a radical forgiver as a follower of Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 uh, reminds us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, and so this is what we are to do, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So we look to God's example. We look to Christ's example, and that's how we are to radically forgive other people. Again, I, I want to just point out, I understand this is hard. It may seem impossible at times. But let me share an important truth with you this morning. You will never have to forgive another person more than God has forgiven you. You will never have to forgive another person more than God has forgiven you. So God's word assumes that if you've truly experienced God's forgiveness in your own life, if you are truly walking faithfully with Jesus, then you will be radically forgiving towards others. And the opposite is true as well, that if you are an unforgiving person, if you are harboring bitterness and resent in your heart towards someone else, it's usually a sure sign that you're not living out of the deep joy and freedom that comes from being rooted in Jesus. Forgiveness is a byproduct of a growing and healthy relationship with Christ. And so now let's look at, I think, the hardest verse or two verses as it relates to this point. Matthew's account, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I, I told you that God's forgiveness is conditional. Some of you, I think, were thinking, I don't know about that. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is conditional. And it's contingent, it's conditional on you forgiving others. Our forgiveness of others is intended to mirror the forgiveness God has given us. And this is why we pray and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You're going to get hurt in this life. People will fail you. You're going to get hurt because this world is full of people and people are sinners. I'm one and you're one as well. And when you're hurt by another person, you have two options in life. One, you can either allow the hurt and pain to grow deep, developing roots that completely take over your life, or you can choose to forgive. 
So which will you choose? Forgive and be forgiven. So last week we started with each of these steps by pausing at the end and um, giving you an opportunity to pray. I prayed as well for our church. We're going to do that this morning, but we're going to do it a little differently because um, I can't pray on your behalf and ask God to forgive you. Only you can do that. I can't pray on your behalf and give you the strength to go and forgive someone that you need to forgive. Only God can do that. And so this morning, I'm just going to pause for a moment after each of these steps, and I want to encourage you to pray about each step. For this one, ask God to help you forgive others and then ask for his forgiveness. Confess any sin in your life Um, that you haven't confessed to him. Repent of that. If there's someone in your life that you know you need to forgive and it's just, you have not been able to do it in your own strength, just start by asking God to give you the strength to do that. Let's pray about that. Step number six. If you're taking notes, ask God to guard your heart. Ask God to guard your heart. We see this Um, in the middle and latter part of verse 4 of Luke chapter 11, uh, it says, and don't let us yield to temptation. Uh, Matthew's account says, and lead us not into temptation. And so this is often referred to as a prayer of protection. It's a great way to think about it. You're praying a prayer of protection in your life. And when you pray and don't let us yield to temptation, um, you're asking God to guard your heart from the evil and temptation that's present in this world. And so remember, if they remember what you've just done with the Lord's Prayer, you've just confessed your sin, you've received God's forgiveness, and so now you're saying, God, don't let me go down that path again. You know, there's areas in my life where I, I tend to mess up. Teach me how to run from temptation. And so this prayer is all about asking God to help teach you how to refocus your thoughts, your words, your actions on the things that honor and glorify Him and are good for yourself and for other people. Now, when I teach on this portion of the Lord's Prayer, a question that people often ask is, you know, what exactly is temptation? Is temptation the same thing as sin? How are the two connected? If I'm being tempted, am I also sinning? I think it's a good question, and thankfully, um, God's Word gives us the answer for that. And so we're going to walk through this, kind of starting at the foundation, and then we'll actually arrive at the answer to this question. And so in this portion of the Lord's Prayer, you know, you're certainly praying that God would help keep you from doing wrong. But temptation is not just the allure to do something wrong. Being tempted um, is also about not doing the right thing. And so just like you can be tempted to do wrong, you can also be tempted not to do what's right. Uh, James talks about this in James chapter 4, verse 17. He says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And so temptation is not just the allure to not do something wrong. It's also the temptation not to do what's right. We tend to think about temptation and sin as, as doing something wrong, but James tells us, no, we've got to think about this a little differently. These two kinds of sin um, are often referred to as sins of commission, that's doing something wrong, and sins of omission, which is not doing what is right. So sins of commission and sins of omission. Um, for example, I'll lay this out for you. It's, it's a sin to lie. We know that, right? Yes? A few of you are shaking your head, yeah? I'm going to do part three right after this, and we're going to talk about lying for all of you who think that's okay. So let me try this again. We know it's a sin to lie, yes? Okay, we're waking up. We're all on the same page. <laughs> 
but it can also be a sin to know the truth and decide to not act on that truth or share it with others. It's a sin to gossip, right? It is. But it's also a sin to avoid a brother or sister in Christ who you know is hurting, is in need of your friendship or your comfort. When you pray this step of the Lord's Prayer, it's right, it's okay to ask God to help guard your heart from doing wrong, but you should also ask God to help you to do what is right. Ask God to help guard your heart against the temptation of being lazy. The temptation of doing the easier thing instead of the right thing. The temptation of doing only what's best for you instead of taking into consideration the needs of others. Or the temptation to give your time to things that are unimportant and add no value to your life. Maybe it's the music that you listen to, the movies that you watch, the people you spend your time with, the books that you read. I mean, the list goes on and on. Ask God to guard your heart against giving in to the temptations and sins of commission as well as omission. Ask God to guard your heart. And so then we're going to arrive back at that question. Um, what exactly is temptation? Is temptation sin? And temptation itself is not sin. Um, it's only when we act on that temptation that it becomes sin. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 uh, gives us a great example of this. It says, For we do not have a high priest, being Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so was Jesus tempted? Yes. Was he tempted in every way that we experience temptation? Yes. Did he sin? Jesus experienced temptation, yet he never sinned. And I have to imagine, we, this is just me kind of guessing, but I imagine that this step of the Lord's Prayer was part of Jesus' daily walk as he lived to do his Father's will. And so what we're going to do at this time is we're going to follow in his footsteps. We're going to pray about this. Ask God to guard your heart against giving in to temptation. Not only giving in to the sin of what you know is wrong, but also the temptation to not do what you know is right. right let's pray about that at this time. You know, talking to my wife about this, I remember a conversation we had a long time ago. I don't even know if she'll remember this. Um, but I remember her just saying that it's never wrong to do what's right. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And I think we live in a culture that tries to put parameters on this. Whether it's your place of work, your family, your friend group, whatever it is. That sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're tempted to not do what's right. And I think that's why we have this example from James. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Friends, it's never wrong to do the right thing. I want to encourage you in your own circle of influence this week, do the right thing. Be a difference maker because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done and what he's doing in your life. The last step of the Lord's Prayer um, is not found in Luke's gospel, but we do see it in Matthew's account. And I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't take just a few moments to talk about it. Uh, it's an important step. And so I'm going to jump over to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. We're going to look at the second half of the verse. And uh, this is the point, if you're taking notes, uh, that we need to depend on God's power. We need to depend on his strength. And really, this is what wraps up the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, and rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. We'll throw that verse up on the screen for you as well. So this is often referred to as a prayer of deliverance. 
saying, God, deliver me from this. Right? Not, not only help me turn from temptation, flee from temptation, but help deliver me from uh, the evil that I see and that I, I witness in life. And so when you're overwhelmed, and I think that's a lot of times in our lives, right? We're overwhelmed often when we feel under attack, when we're falsely accused about something or mistreated by others. The question becomes, who or what do you turn to? Do you try and defend yourself? Do you try to have the last word or do you trust in God? And so in this prayer, you're asking God to help you. I think that's the best way to describe it, actually. It's with one word. It's with the word help. That's what this prayer is all about. All capital letters, an exclamation point on the end because we need help. We need help. John chapter 10, verse 10, reminds us that we have an enemy whose sole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but that God's purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. When you pray, rescue us from the evil one, you're taking a stand against the enemy as you choose to rely on God's strength to help you through your time of need. You're building your life on his promises. And when you need God's help, where's the best place to go? It's God's word. And it's prayer. There's power in God's word. The Bible makes this claim about itself that it is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. We believe that. It will help you fight the strategies of the devil. It will help you live the life that God has called you to live. And so we jump over to Ephesians 6. We know the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, as well as prayer, are the only offensive weapons that we see when we learn about putting on the full armor of God every day. The word of God is our weapon as Christians. And so when you're going through the storms of life or you feel under attack, pray that God would protect you. Pray that you would rely on his power to get you through whatever it is you're going through. Pray that he would help you um, see how you can apply his word and his truths to your life as you seek to live faithfully for him. Friends, the overarching point here is this. You don't have to fight your battles alone. You don't have to fight your battles alone. First and foremost, you have the creator of the universe and then you have the people that God's put in your life to walk with you, to walk arm in arm. So God wants to help, he wants to help you and teach you how to depend on his power. And so I'm going to begin to wrap this message up, but I want you to take a few moments as we do to pray about this step. And if you're feeling under attack today, If you're going through a difficult season, a life storm, pray that God would help you uh, to rely on his power. Depend on him. This is complete dependence on, on who God is. And so take a moment and just pray that prayer today. Ask that God would help you to depend on him. Let's do that at this time. Well, friends, if there was a better way for us to pray, I think God would have given it to us. Amen? And the model of the Lord's Prayer, it really contains everything that we need for this life. Uh, The steps that we talked about last week, connecting with God relationally, that's how we start with prayer. And we have an opportunity to worship his name, to praise him. We uh, pray his agenda first. Oftentimes, it's easy to go to God and just say, hey, here's my needs. Here's what I have going on. But when we pray God's agenda first, we, we daily submit our life to his plan and his purpose. That realigns our lives with his will. We can pray that we would depend on him for everything. And then what we talked about today, we forgive and be forgiven. God's forgiveness is conditional. How we forgive others is intended to mirror the forgiveness that God has given us. So be a radical forgiver. Be a difference maker in this way. 
because of what you've experienced in your relationship with Jesus. You ask God to guard your heart, that he would help protect you from temptation, that you would depend on his power. And prayer is this amazing gift that God has given us, and we can come to him confidently and boldly. It's not something that we have to be afraid of and and take it from someone who um, often, I would say, either neglects or forgets about or is afraid to pray. You know, I'm, I'm not the great at this in my life. Spend some time this week rereading Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Reread the Lord's Prayer and take the notes from the last couple of weeks and pray through each of these steps and see how God shows up in your life, how God works in your life. And then share that with me because I want to hear about it.